Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners. You have reached the Voices of the Cannabis Wars radio show, where we are determined to present you with the news right from the front lines, news that you cannot get anywhere else because they just don't advertise uh, cannabis news on the regular outlets. You can't turn your TV on and find out what's going on. So this is where you're going to get the coverage at. Um, the, the, this show is brought to you by nothing but volunteers. We all come together on Sunday and get together to do this radio show. I am a host of the show. My name is Kristen Floor. Um, my, the other host of the show is Eugene Fisher. Eugene spent 25 years of a life sentence for cannabis and got himself freed after 25 years. And then the producer of the show is Mindy Griffiths, who is not with us today. Um, we're missing her as we speak because she usually helps us out, make sure everything's going right. Um, we also have Becca Nichols, who's a screener, um, and she's also not here today. They they went camping for the for the whole week, so um, we're, we miss them, and we can't wait for them to get back. But this show is also made possible by CCHI Initiative, uh, the Jack Hare Initiative down down in California, where they're trying to pass this initiative so our freeders free, our prisoners can come home. So the basis of the show is regarding prison outreach. Um, the voices is what we're trying to bring to you, find out what's going on in prison and why people are going to prison and what's going on in the war, in the, this war. And today's theme is, is freedom. And we're going to talk on freedom on a di- couple different levels. Um, first, we're going to be um, talking to Sherry Floor, um, who is my mother, um, who my mom, you know, for those of you who don't know the story, my my father died in federal custody, shackled to a bed, a very, very, very miserable and tormenting death. And um, so what happened after that is my mom went to prison too, and she was married to my dad for 36 years. And my, when my dad died in prison, they wouldn't even let her out to have a funeral or for compassionate release. Um for extra, because if you get out on compassionate release, if there's extraordinary and compelling circumstances, so we tried to prove that, and they wouldn't let her out for that. And when she served, she served her sentence, and she got out. And she's been on probation for two years, and now after two years, she's off probation. So she was finally able to medicate after five years. So we're going to talk to my mom, and because another thing is she hasn't been able to be an advocate and come to events and call into the radio show because it was actually written in her sentence that she can't be part of things like this. So now she, we, she is free of her, of her probation. So we're going to get to talk to her about her experience and about, and about how the war has affected her life and about what it feels like to not have the wrath of the federal government breathing down your, down your neck. And then we're going to, after my mom, we're going to talk to Craig Cecil who is serving a life sentence in prison for cannabis. He's on his 13th year, and he's going to be calling into our show from prison like he does every single week uh, as he risks going on lockdown. Um, it's very worth it to Craig because he gets to get his voice heard. So please stay tuned for him. And then after after Craig, we're going to be uh, uh, joined by the amazing George Monterano. And when you hear him, you'll know why he's amazing. But he was, I'll tell you, though, he was spent 33 years in prison. Um, he was Eugene Fisher, the host of the show, his best friend in prison. And they did all kinds of, like, really good things together as far as advocating civil for civil rights for other prisoners and teaching about um, different topics in prison. And he has a weekly segment. Um, he was just released over the last six months or so, 
and he reads us poems and tells us what's going on in his life. He's very, very inspirational, so you don't want to miss him. And right after George, we're going to talk to Stephanie Landa. As Stephanie Landa is ex-POW who spent four years in prison for cannabis. Um, her son is now in prison for cannabis. And Stephanie has a group called Freedom Grow where she raises tons and tons of commissary money for our prisoners. And she goes out to the events and she raises the money and she loads it on their commissary so that they don't have to work as hard because they only make about 12 cents an hour. And that's not enough to buy the things that our plant prisoners need. So there's Stephanie to the rescue. But Stephanie is not an event. This has not been an event this weekend. All week, actually, she's been in Washington, D.C., advocating to change things so that our prisoners can come home. And we're going to find out the details from Stephanie and what exactly is going on in D.C. and how it's been. In fact, she sent me a, a message behind the scenes talking about how it's, it's kind of creepy there. And, and we'll find out more about that and what she means by that in a second. And then um, we're also going to talk throughout the show about some various different freedom marches um, that's, been, that's going on across the nation. Um, I attended one yesterday and we had, you know, the volunteers from the Voices of the Cannabis War come out and try to help get letters signed for our prisoners. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about Richard DeLisi, who's going through a lot of problems in prisons. But first, I want to introduce you to Eugene Fisher, who is the other co-host of the show that I've been telling you guys about, who's just a very, very amazing person. Um, good morning, Eugene. Good morning. Good morning, Christian. Good morning, listeners. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say this, Christian. There might, there's a, something that you might not even know as my co-host, and we've worked together so long. I proved the government so corrupt and so wrong in court that they kicked me out of prison and they didn't even give me any probation. They just said, get out of here. Leave. I know. You, they, they, <laughs> you got them good, Eugene. Put out the front door, Christian. Wow. Threw me out the front door. I had no probation or anything else. I think the judge and the prosecutor and everyone realized what a travesty the whole thing was. And they just, wow. they, they, yeah, they threw me out. And people asked me, well, don't, didn't you have probation? No, I had no probation. I was a completely free man. In fact, they even admitted they kept me too long by the judge's own verdict, maybe eight years too long. And that's this just shows how the government does can function so not can, does all the time function corruptly and wrongly. And uh, uh the probation is is an added torture. The idea, you know, Christian, the idea with probation was it was to to uh, uh, allow people to transition back into into free life. And to pr protect society from their, from them going astray while they did it, well, it's become a punishment more than anything else—a continuing punishment. So, even though someone's finished their term, like your mother finished their term of right. incarceration, they keep them—they keep them tied up. And they I know, Eugene. It was like—it's like I mean, can you imagine? It's—it's like—it's um, like okay, you're you're in prison you served your time and then you can't even get to be free because you're still like under their control and it's and it's really crazy Eugene because here in Washington where we call it legal a lot of uh, even other advocates didn't quite understand why she couldn't have cannabis because 
it seems to be legal, but yet she was being held on a federal level. So, like, when she go in to take her drug test, I mean, there's clear, there's a sign-up in the federal office that says, regardless of state laws, it's federally illegal and that you will be violating your probation if you test positive for cannabis. Wow. So, that, that, well, we, so much for equal rights between states and the federal government, huh? It's, it's yes. obvious who has the upper hand, you know? Right. Well, Eugene, my mom, um, you know, she got to go to the Freedom March with me yesterday to um, to advocate for our prisoners. And I spoke on stage and I brought her on stage with me, along with other voices of the cannabis war that, that help our prisoners. But I'm going to pull her into the conversation because she's waiting on the line right now. And then in a few minutes, um, we're going to talk to Miggy, too, who was able to spend some time with my mom yesterday at the event. Um, but hold on. We're going to um, talk to my mom. Hi, mom. Hi, how's everybody doing? Good, mo- good morning, Sherry. Good morning. It's so good to hear you, hear your voice free of the shackles of probation. Tell us how you feel. Oh, I'm overexcited, very overexcited. It's um, just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the first thing you did when you heard your probation was over? I smoked my medicine. <laughs> Good for you. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> There's applause Eugene. ringing from the rafters. <laughs> it, it was so cute. I came I wasn't at home from I wasn't home. I was at work. And when I came home from work, she was just giggling and smiling and like she's been giggling and smiling ever since. <laughs> oh, that's that's so cute. That's great. Uh, that How was the first time she knew. Eugene, that was the let me just tell you real quick, Eugene, that was, that was the first time she had got to take her medicine in five years. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so, go ahead and so ask how, me. How long, how long were you on probation, Sherry? I was on uh, just over two years. Wow. And your, your sentence was how long? I had a, I had a uh, two-year sentence in pr- prison. I did 10 months, and I had a four-year prison, uh, four years for probation, and I did just over two years. So yeah. you really did, did the time in prison and the probation, because that's another form of incarceration, really, yeah. isn't it? Yes. How well, do you feel? How do you feel now that, that they can't tell you things like you can't smoke and you can't do this or you can't... <laughs> imbibe a liquor or any of those things. How do you feel about that? Oh, it's just an overwhelming feeling that I can get back into the world, go places that I couldn't go before, do things, uh, meet other people that's uh, cannabis-related people and stuff like that. Just overwhelming. But mom, yesterday you went with me to the first event that you, you've been, I go to all these events and do all this stuff and my mom just has to stay home and stay behind. And she always feels that shot. I can't wait till I can go with. And yesterday you got to go with, um, in fact, you went on stage and there's a lot of support for you there. How, how, what was that like? How did all the support feel? What, what was, tell us about the support and tell us how it felt to be able to be out there in the, in the cannabis community again. It was, um, 
different. Um, I don't know how, how to really say it. It was just overwhelming, and I wanted to thank everybody for their support that they put out there for us patients and uh, and cannabis prisoners. Um, it was real hard um, having to go on stage, Mom, and tell the story of what had happened with Dad and with everything that was going on. Um, but you did a really st- good job. I was, pr- I'm proud of you, mom. You, you, you stood up there and, um, you, you, you marched. She, my mom marched two miles for freedom yesterday. You know, Christian and, and Sherry, as you're telling the story, a, a, a thought that crosses my mind, crosses everybody who's listening's mind is this really affected your family. This was a, an, a sentence to everybody in your family. What happened to your dad and your mom and your and, and then their probation. How so? How's the family reacting to to the to to Sherry's release from probation? Well, we have we have guests here from somewhere from from Portland, and they are ecstatic. Um, they are just excited. My kids are excited, and um, we don't have to worry about the federal government. She is on probation, and she's in my house, and I'm a big activist, and so we don't have to worry about the feds knocking on our door anymore and, you know, demanding to search our house or to go go through our stuff because she's here. So, you know, the tie, this just breaking that tie from those people and the, the wrath of them is gone, and even not just for my mom, but for myself, I am just, just relieved as heck because of it. I, I, I don't understand, Christian. Can you tell us what happens in probation as far as looking over things, uh, the probation's officer getting involved in your life and so on, what happens? Well, when she first got, when she was in prison, she had to ask if she can come back here because she was sentenced in Montana. So she was in the whatever, whatever district in Montana, whatever they call them. They break, they, they, there was what they do is each state has a couple different federal districts and Technically, you're supposed to return back to that district to do your probation unless another district accepts your accepts you into theirs. So because my mom didn't have real violent crimes or anything like that, um, Washington accepted her and allowed her to come live with me. In order to do that, they had to come do a home a home search and, you know, make sure there's no guns and make sure the house is suitable for her, et cetera, et cetera. So when that happened, you know, and she's here, so they can come knock on the door and check on her at any time. No, I don't believe they can go in bedrooms and things like that. But if they see anything around that would be in violation of her probation, um, they they can they can go into it into it even further. So, and then the constant worrying is she going to get a call for a drug test and those types of things. That and you got to drop everything because you got one hour to get there, you know, or or by three. If you got to work or something like that, it doesn't matter. You got to find her a ride because she doesn't drive, or you got to you got to take her there. She's got to get there, no matter what. So, like that's gone. That that's been gone, and that's that's a really good feeling too. So, can a probation officer go through your papers and and look at records? I don't think so. I don't think so. And mom, my mom's biggest complaint is that she's had over five different probation officers. And she hasn't even met a couple of them. She's only actually met two of them. So they they really didn't monitor my mom um, as tough as I think they do in other states because I think, you know, my mom has never hurt nobody. So she wasn't a real danger, but yet they were still having a, a leash on her. 
So we spent taxpayers' money to, to look over, over this lady, even though everyone knew she was harmless and wouldn't hurt anybody and hadn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, Mom, and how does that make you feel to know that they've got you like that this whole entire time, but not other people out there that, that does it? Mom? Yeah? How does that feel to know that that they're that they're keeping tabs on you and not everybody else? Yeah, yeah, it's they. Um, it's really weird because you have to call in every day to a certain point to see if you have a UA, and then um, then when you get off of that, you still have to stand monthly to uh, make sure you're not doing anything wrong and answer a bunch of questions, and the questions are just a repeat. Um, but I'm glad that I don't have to do that no more. <laughs> so, Mom, let's talk a little bit about, um, we're talking about just the probation, but you haven't been able to, you know, communicate with the world about prison either because you you can't. So, you know, right right after, um, after you were sentenced, you went to prison, and we lost Dad, and you came home totally different place they took your house your cars everything basically that you owned and they've they're in possession of a lot of our possessions and when you so when you got out of prison you had to come home to live with me and everything changed for you because we never we didn't live together for for a long time so coming home to live with your daughter without your husband after two years in prison um just let us know what like the little experience for the two years was like while you were in prison well, the two years that I was uh, was um, really sad after my husband passed away, um, and I had a couple good friends there that helped me get through that. But I'm still not over that. Um, uh, coming home to live with my daughter was amazing. My <laughs> grandkids, <laughs> but now that I'm home free, it's really cool. <laughs> Mom, you had a lot of friends in prison. In fact, you were like, you threw parties for people, and um, they were there. All the other prisoners supported you, kind of like the other prisoners supported Dad at his at his hard times. Um, you had hard times, and and you found a lot of a lot of nice people in prison. Yes, I did. A lot of them didn't belong there either. Right? Yeah, I remember that was your biggest complaint. Is you know they didn't belong there. Like like you didn't belong there. Yeah. <laughs> now when no now Eugene, it was really cool because when my mom was released from prison, um, I flew out to Phoenix, Arizona. We got on an airplane to come back out here. But when we were in Phoenix, Arizona, there is you know five or six or seven Human Solution members that were waiting for my mom. This is was this was back when I was when I was really deeply involved with the human system. They were waiting for my mom with presents and gifts and signs. And so we got on the plane, we saw all them and we got on the plane and we, we flew back to Washington and when we got off the plane of Washington, I had just started a human solution chapter out here and there was I'd say ten or fifteen people um waiting for my mom at the airport when she got off the plane with signs and presents and gifts and it was really um she was really well welcomed back into the world after her incarceration christian you know when i listen to you and your mother and your story 
here's the thought that passes my mind. I think it's probably every listener listener's thoughts on this. What a disruption to your life and to to your your very being. This whole thing was how it totally radically changed things, and for what? What did society gain by putting Sherry Floor in prison? And this this lady who has no violence in her in her history at all, doesn't hurt anybody, has done nothing but help people, you know, and and your family, your family, not only the horrible death of your dad while he's in prison, but the whole disruption of everything to to you as a family. It just shocks me to think about it. And well, personal, personal experience, of course, is there with me too. Well. You know, the, here's the thing, Eugene, is is it it caused so much pain and so much suffering um, in my family, yes. But then I look at it like, look what good it's done, too. Like, I, I, in my heart, I have to turn this tragedy into something positive and uh, to be able to justify what happened. If I can't justify it, then I'm going to be, I would go crazy. So in order to justify my father's death, in order to make his death right, we have to help others. And so it's given me, um, it's, it, my dad's death has made me find out what my passion actually is in life. And I've found my place in life. Like my dad didn't leave me nor my mom um, without a whole, a whole movement of support. So um, my dad, you know, they might've taken the house, the cars, everything, the money, the, the material things. So I didn't we I didn't inherit nothing. My mom didn't get nothing because they took everything. Like we were literally left broke and everything. I mean, they raped us to the point of no return. <laughs> so like, but at the same time, like what I got from my dad, which is all the people in the movement and all the support in the movement and the ability to be able to be a voice for our, our prisoners is worth so much more than what they took. And that's that's what that's where we're that's our direction in life regardless of what they've done to us, is just to make things better. Well, bless bless you and bless your family. And I'm a te- I can testify to Christian and working with her as closely as I do for all these years. And she is a dedicated person in, in, in the cause and so on. But it's a heck of a thing. And, and I admire you big, deeply for what you said about turning <laughs> turning this negative thing to something positive. But it's a heck of a thing to have to go through in any case and the disruption right. of, of, of you as an American family who really wasn't hurting anybody and all of right. a sudden has society turn around and actually hurt you. It's just amazing yeah. to think of that. Aw, thanks, Eugene. Um, you, Eugene and Mom, I'm going to pull Miggy on the line. Miggy is one of the voices of our cannabis war, and he got out yesterday at our event along with Tony and Tina, um, and my mom, and uh, there's there's a man by the name of Don Skaggy, and he has a friend named Jared Alloway, and Jared does a marijuana safer than alcohol t-shirts that you people see acro- wearing across the nation, and they had given us a boost so that we're, we, they loaned us their boost so that we could get signatures on our petitions, and they're going to be helping us out with the Portland March this coming weekend, but Miggy was there, and Miggy went on stage. He brought his son, and his son went on stage with us, and we held signs for our prisoners and gathered letters yesterday, and my mom, you know, she was right out there trying to help the prisoners, too, but we're going to bring Miggy on. 
Um, I think he might have a couple words for my mom. Good morning. Good morning, Miggy. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Miggy. Good morning, Jean. <laughs> tell us, tell us, tell us what your reaction is to the to the Floor family, and especially now with Sherry Floor and her getting off of probation. What do you What do you see and feel? Well, you know, one of the reasons why I'm a big supporter of Kristen and her family is because the, they were pretty much violated by the government. So their story alone is just enough. It's an example of why the law is bad. But uh, hanging out with Sherry was awesome. Like to see her outside <laughs> the house was awesome. Like it was a great day. And then to see people like the young, some young people were handing her like some joints and saying, "Hey, can I give you this?" It was so cool. Uh... And it was just, yeah, you know, I mean, there's people that have respect for what she's been through, but it should have never have happened, and your guys' family should have never have been, you know, for lack of a better word, raped. You know, your dad was taken away from you, your mom's freedom was taken away, and now you guys are able to start over again, which is great and horrible at the same time. Hey, Mom, how did it feel getting to meet Miggy and all the – or well, you met Miggy before, but how did it feel to, like, be able to get out to the event – help the other prisoners that are still in there and associate with Miggy and Tony and Tina and see what, see what, what, what we do, what we do all the time when, yeah, when you're forced to have to stay home because you can't go to an event. What, what was that like to be able to get out there and, and meet everybody? That was really fantastic and it was really fun and I had a great time. Nice. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any so leftover weed? Oh, does your mom like weed to take home afterwards? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She we <laughs> she's been pretty. She's been pretty pretty high. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, here's the thing. You know, if you haven't smoked for a while and then you smoke a little bit, then you're like really really high. Well, my mom has been kind of goofy, and um, I've been like this morning. She said. Should I smoke before the show? I said, why don't you just wait till after the show? Because it really affects her. But you guys, it's not just the weed either. She couldn't even drink alcohol. So now she, she had to actually sat down and had a drink the other night too. So she's, you know, nice. she's being able to be an adult again. Yeah. And what kills me too is they put a gag order on her. You know, how bad is that you can't talk about against the war or you know talk about your case that's that's horrible yeah it is um, mom. Um, but yeah um tell us about the um i just want to tell both of, uh, both of you guys that we're getting, getting ready to get craig cecil on the line and mom you can um stay on the line if you want and talk to craig but if i have to go switch over to the other line um we will just end this interview almost instantly cuz he's calling in from prison but in the meantime will you tell our listeners listeners about the nasty ankle bracelet that you came home with about the what the nasty ankle bracelet that you came home with oh yeah i when i get off when i left the halfway house to go on probation i had an ankle bracelet that i had to wear for a long time and it was really just um, uh, something that you put on your ankle, and they monitor where you, wherever you're at. They can tell where you're at. <laughs> and it was yeah. just uh, an annoyance that I didn't. Oh yeah, and for the first month you couldn't even leave the house. And for the first month you yeah. couldn't even leave the house. Like she had, yeah. she was confined to the house with the bracelet. And if she did, I the had bracelet to go to work like and back home, and that was it. Yeah, she had to wow. get a job. 
to get out of the halfway house, she had to get a job. So we had a family friend give her a job. And so she was able to come home because she got the job. Otherwise, she would have been at the halfway house for a, for a lot longer. Mm. Tell us about the halfway house, Mom. Oh, uh, it was it was cool, I guess. Um, they had their weekly meetings, and uh, you had to sign in and sign cool. out. And then they had also they had uh, random alcohol tests, uh, UAs. Um, um, but it was it was better than being in prison. At least I was able to leave there, you know. But you had to sign in and sign out every day, and you had to let them know every day where you were going to be. Yeah, which was it was cool for her, but it was really annoying for me because it was right in the middle of downtown Seattle, and the times that she got to leave was in the middle of rush hour traffic. Like, and then when I have to, she'd get out for like four hours, and I just have to take her right back. And I just be like, she, we just wanted her home. We didn't want to have to give her a backup again and take her back. Like, it was rough. <laughs> um, so you guys, we've got Tony, and she she's one of our one of our volunteers that was out with us yesterday at the event. And I've just got breaking news. So far, there's a rough draft count of 214 uh, letters that we got signed for our prisoners who are serving some life sentences. So. Yay, you got it. We got 214 letters That's signed. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Mom, Eugene has a friend by the name of Billy Deacon, and we got um, not just us, but around the nation, there's like a lot of letters gathered for him. And President Obama just freed him recently. So that's why we're so excited about oh, these letters. Oh, that's know fantastic. Wow. Yeah, because we do know that they help. In fact, um, one of the letters that we got signed was for Craig, and Craig is calling in soon. So. Um, it's Good. cool to be able to tell him we're out here getting letters signed for him. Yeah, you, you know, you know, you guys, you guys are poster, poster family for for the movement. You know that. You really, you to be admired. You, you all, all of you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think, Miggy, mm-hmm. that this is a poster family? This is a, you know, if we want to, if we wanted to show the nation. A perfect yeah. family, and and the <laughs> tragedy they have had, had to go through because of these improper and unjust marijuana laws. I think I think the Floor family would be the ideal family to look at. No Thank doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should throw yourself in there too, Eugene. Well, thank uh, yeah, you. Thank sure, you. sure. Thank you very well, much. Well, you guys, I um, we've got Miggy call, or we've got um, Craig calling in in just a second. Um, but while he's calling in, I do want to update the listeners about something that we're following with regarding Richard Delisi. In fact, uh, Richard Delisi is in a in a prison out in Florida, and I got a message from his daughter. And like, this is what kills me: is is that okay? I had my dad my whole life, and then they took took him away. This girl has never had her dad. She had her dad for the first three years of her life been in there for 28 years she just had a baby and she wants her dad to help take help help raise his grandbaby you know so anyway I got a, an urgent message from her a couple of days ago saying that they had moved Richard to a part of the prison where there's smoke and he's he's a sick man as it is and I actually spoke to Richard yesterday and he's trying to be moved to a different to a different area in the prison so he doesn't have to deal with all that because it's affecting his health so we've launched an emergency team to help him. Uh, Mike from the Human Solution is helping. 
Uh, Miggy, you, you're helping. Um, Danielle from The Human Solution, Becca from The Human Solution. They don't know they're helping yet because they're out of town, but Mindy's helping too. <laughs> so stay tuned, listeners, for more information on how you can help Richard DeLisi um, get transported and get the health care and the, the service that he deserves in prison. So um, that's one thing um, that concerns me as we talk about my family is all the other families too. So, you know, our what's happened here is a voice for everybody else. So when you guys, you know, say those types of things, like that's exactly what what this has to turn into is help. And if I feel like if my dad can go back and say, you know, I regretted this or not, I think he would do it all over again because of of some of the good things that came out of it. I don't I don't think my dad would have any regrets. Don't forget you, Mom. Oh, no, he would not have any regrets. We do the very same thing. <laughs> what about you, know, you, Mom? Do you have any regrets? No. No, I you, I would have done the very same thing. Are you done? Are you proud of the time that you served for for our nation? Oh yes, I am. So am I. I'm proud yes. of you too, Mama. Thank you. Thank you. It's very touching between you hearing that, hearing you yeah. express that, and I know the <laughs> the audience feels the same way. Uh, thank you, thank you, ladies, for for all of that. That's beautiful. Sherry, uh, Sherry, how about yeah. how about your how about your grandkids? How do they look at this situation? Oh, they're all they're all excited. They're both excited about me getting off probation. We can go out of state now and go visit other people and go to the beach and stuff like that and not have to worry about being at home at, at a certain time or something. Yeah, oh, my, mom has to, my mom was having to ask to leave the certain, this district. So if we leave a certain part, she has to ask them if she can go. So now we can just go. Go? Oh, nice. Not, not now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kristen. Hey, Miggy, what's up? Hey, just on a note of family, uh, and, and, and something that we're dealing with now, don't forget, Lance Glore has a daughter, too. Like, she just had a prom. Who? Lance Glore. Oh, Lance Glore. Yeah, let's talk about Lance for a second. Um, Lance uh, is, okay, so when my family got raided, Lance got raided back in 2011, and this is the same, this is, this is a prisoner right now that's coming out of the same tragedy that my families came out of. And the same war, the same set of raids, the same the same attack on medical cannabis in 2011 has upset the Glore family um, so much that his mother showed up at the march yesterday wearing a T-shirt that said "Freelance Glore" just for her son. And you know she had a, she had over 500 letters printed for our prisoners because she, she's so passionate about getting everybody home. Like once it's affected you, it affects the whole the whole community because you just don't know what the federal wrath is until you start to experience or know somebody that's experiencing it. So um, I just want to give a shout out to that family as well. Who's still going through this and all the other families that's went through the 2011, the 11 wars. I mean, we still have so many prisoners in prison from, from those raids and they got a lot of ton of stuff. I mean, when they raided, they took everybody's cars, everybody's money, everybody's cannabis. So, I mean, like that's a come up for the federal government. They got, 
they got money off of all that. I mean, you think, why would they do that? Why would they do that? But, I mean, think of all the possessions, all the everything that they take. Um, they're getting filthy rich off of stealing from, from us. Um, and you think about all the decades and years that they've been doing it. That's what's also wrong is everything that they took. Mom, what do you feel about everything that they took? Oh, I think it was very wrong. They took our house. They took our vehicles. They took our um, dignity. Um, they took all our possessions, our furniture, um, uh, antiques that we had in the house and stuff like that. And this happens about two or three times a week where they take it and they just, you can't get it back. You can't get yeah, it back. No. You can't well, now, you guys, Sherry, it's 930- Sherry, I, I, I proved in court that they took uh, over $180 million worth of property from us. And yeah. they wouldn't even admit it finally. They they, uh, yeah. they hide these things. And there are so many police departments and people around the country that are getting rich off of these forfeitures they, they do in these in these drug cases. Yeah. Know? But you know, you know, you know. A question I have for you, Sherry, is: uh, Can you maintain any part of your normalcy, being a normal person, when you're going through all of this? Now I'm getting back to be a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But while it's happening, while it's happening, while you're there behind bars. Afterwards, when you're on probation and the probation officer ha- monitors everything you do, when you're sitting there with an ankle b- bracelet on, the, the, I mean, can you feel? Can you feel like a normal human being, or do you gotta uh, you gotta make adjustments in your mind to it all? You have to make adjustments in your mind to it all that because you're not a normal human being. You can't leave without get, getting permission by somebody else. To leave. So you're you're a, you're a mature woman, raise kids, have grandkids, and yet you got to go to some lady who's younger than you and everything else and ask her permission. Is that right? Yep. Yes. God, that must, that yeah. sounds horrible. You know, they didn't do that to me. I was fortunate, but I I just it's a continuation of the incarceration. Then really, isn't it? Yes, it is, actually. It is. Well, you guys, we've got um, Craig Cecil. I just want to bring up some attention that Craig Cecil has not called in yet. It is 9.38. He usually calls in by 9.30, um, and he has not called. So I just sent him a message through CoreLinks, and that's a system where you can communicate with federal prisoners through an email system. And that's where we talk to Craig. So um, I just want to bring some attention that, no, he is not here right now. Um I don't know what is any number of things. It could be a lockdown in the prison. It could be, uh, you know, a fog count. It can be any number of things prevent him from getting to the phone. That unfortunately, see, you know, as we all know, Sherry will tell you, as we all know, we don't have control over ourselves when we're in prison of any part of our lives. You know, that's part part of the problem. Uh, let's let's assume let's hope nothing bad has happened, but the probability is that there's something preventing him because Craig comes on so regularly. Correct, Christian? Don't you think? 
He comes yeah, on so punctually yeah. that it, it's just unusual that he's not on. Oh, I know. I just hope he's okay. Sherry, we're gonna have we're gonna have in 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 about uh, ten minutes we're gonna have George Maturano on, and he's gonna talk oh. about about probation. You know, he was he was incarcerated for thirty three years, and his his daughter when he went away, his daughter was a couple of years old, and now she's oh a grown woman when she when he comes out. So you know that that's th- those are some of the things that happen to families. Yeah. Can you imagine uh, one of the greatest parts of his release was being able to be with his daughter on a beach together, something she yeah. hadn't, she had never done because she was only like two years old when he went away to prison. Yeah. And and now George, George, Sherry, George is with his mother in Philadelphia. So wow. at least. Yeah, you know, and I think she, she's almost 90, 90 years old. So at least they, they've got the blessing of being able to be a, a, a son and a, and a mother together again, you know. Yeah. Which, which is so important. Yeah. Well, that's so, the thing is, how long is George on probation? Do you know, you know, Eugene? I think I think George's probation is longer than your mom's. I think I think it's something like uh, five or six years. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and he's he's going to talk about how it is a continuation, you know, a violation of his rights as a person and a continuation. Uh, do, do you both know that what's happening on in some states? They're saying, "Hey, we got to." Uh, I think one of them is Virginia, where the governor just said, "We've got to give uh, ex-cons, people who've done their time, the right to vote again." There's no reason I they that. can. Yeah, there's no reason that we can maintain them uh, as non-voting entities. Can you imagine if all the ex-prisoners now can will be, be they were going to beginning to be able to be able to vote again? It's going to make a big difference. Yeah, yeah I think once you're off probation, you should get your voting rights. You served your time, uh, you should get your voting rights uh, back. You shouldn't have, right, you have to go to court to get your and fight for your voting rights. It would seem it would seem that's part of our democracy, you know. Because see, yeah. the freedom of the of the country is being able to get your voting rights back. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it, I'd like I'd like someone to think about the initial people in our country, and how a lot of them were you know were were ex cons themselves and people who had uh, who, who fled England and fled per- persecution and so on. Imagine if they were de- de- denied their rights, there would have been no, no America. There yeah. would have been no way of even establishing this country, you know. So uh, yeah, that's that's part of the equation for 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 listeners out there, anyone who can support that those that movement to give us to give ex-cons the right to vote again, I think it's a very worthy thing. And I personally think there, there's so many millions of ex-cons out there. I think it would make a big difference in voting. In, oh, in yeah, issues. it would. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, obviously, Sherry, you and I would vote very much anytime there is any, anything to do with marijuana. You know how we'd vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, no, 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 no sign of Craig. 
Kristen? No, no sign of him. It's uh, 9:43 right now, so. Yeah, we got to assume what, what happened. Uh, what, what happened for, for our listeners to, to understand what happened was something un, that he could not control. There's some kind of prison lockdown or fog count or something. Yeah. Or the telephone systems were out. They they, they couldn't make his call because he yeah. does yeah. that religiously, you know. It could be too yeah. that there was all, everybody else was on the telephones at the same time that he wanted to get on too. Oh yeah, tell tell, tell, well, tell our listeners, Sherry, how that works in prison when you get the phone lines. Oh, we had like six or eight phones for over four hundred people, and sometimes there were lines of twenty people waiting to use the. Um, you can only talk for fifteen minutes at a time, and then you have to wait at least a half hour, sometimes an hour, to be able to use the phone again. Well, you guys know that they stand. They they wait they let Craig cut in line because they know he has a show to do every morning. So his the people in his prison know what he uses the phone for every day at, every Sunday at nine thirty, and they let him let him get in front of the line to call in. You know when yeah, you say yeah. that, so everyone understands when Christian says they let him in, that means fellow prisoners let him in. That isn't mm-hmm. prison guards. That is fellow prisoners just out of the goodness of their heart let him cut yeah. in. Christmas, Sherry, when I went, I was in men's prisons in some of the very most violent prisons in the United States, and I saw people get killed over cutting in line. Yeah. I mean, it it, it was very, uh, you know, there's something about respect, we call it, right, Sherry, when you're in prison, respect uh, one another. If you don't respect people, and that's a disrespect if you cut in line. You know, it's not yeah. the same out here in the free world. People cut in line and do things like I that. Know. But you can't do that in prison. Nope. All right, you guys. So we got um, George Monterano on the line. Um, Mom, do you want to just kind of hang out and listen for a few minutes? Okay, yeah, maybe, I will. Um, maybe she okay. can talk to George, George for a moment. Okay, I'll introduce you to George Monterano. Uh, Miggy, um do you want to hang in there too, or are you are you busy? I'm gonna go mow the lawn. Okay. All right. Well, we love you, Miggy. Thank you for helping out yesterday. Um, tell your son thank you, and my whole my family thanks you, and thank you. Looking great. I'll see you next time. All right. Cool. Thank Thanks, Miggy. Thanks for Thanks everything you thank do. You. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, listeners, um, you just heard from Miggy. Miggy. 20. Uh, we also heard from my mother, Sherry Floor, who's still going to continue to join us with this conversation. Um, and we're going to get George Montrano on the line, who has, served, uh, who has served 33 years of a life sentence for cannabis, and he's going to talk about freedom, the topic of today's show, and how probation has affected his freedom. So here we go. Good morning, George. Hey, good morning. Christine and uh, good morning, Jean and and your mom, Sherry. Right? I want to introduce yeah. you to her. Yes, that's my mom. Oh well, she's uh, such a pleasure to meet you, and hopefully we'll meet face to face in the near future. Yes, it's a pleasure to meet you too. Yes, well, <laughs> uh, you know, there's uh, you know, there's all this red tape. Uh, that, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, people, at least men and women, go through. And, you know, we're, some of us are fortunate to have uh, family and friends to assist. But that's low numbers. 
in large numbers, there's no assistance. And I, I witnessed it firsthand. And uh, I'm going to share a little poem that I just created a few minutes ago. Here it goes. Chains come as new skin. So lost, they caged him. Years pass. Age the feared, the finale. Now, can you see? No clear. Ah, miracle for me. Freedom begun. Set. Oh, mind jumps. Comes fear again. Everywhere. Thus, confusion sets in. Ah, uh, but so. Back to prison. The deep thought of cannot win. <clears throat> well, that's the poem. But the essence of that poem is, okay, you come out and you know, there's nothing in place for you. You're at the halfway house. Uh, are you uh, very, uh, very few go to home uh, under home confinement with the bracelet. Now you have all this red tape. You have to catch up on being a citizen, uh, you know, licenses, Social Security, all that stuff and so forth and so on. Then you have to get from point A to point B, the halfway house to point A to point B. Now you left prison. You left prison with no funds. No funds. Maybe, maybe they were nice enough to give you $50, okay? But in a short, in a short few days, that's gone. Now you're sitting in a halfway house, and you can't go nowhere because you don't have any ID. And this is uh, especially for the elderly because, you know, uh, they they don't care anymore. So what a lot of them, the majority of them, go back to drinking drugs, okay, and they just they just abscond and then they're back. But I see, I know what I'm going through myself with red tape. And uh, where where do you get the documents? Okay, if they have these programs in prison, you know where they assist. As a matter of fact, I was uh, so involved in that where we would give forms so people can get that together. But that's a cost. That's a cost anywhere from $25 to $60 to $80, depending what state, where you're going. And I personally lost $20. I had to get some from vital records in the state of Pennsylvania. I sent the money. Wow. Money was taken out of my prison account. Never got the documents. Okay. Again, I was, I found out I was a little fortunate that I had family and assistance when I got out. But the majority does not. And we have you know, the guy has just been told what what to do, when to sleep, when to eat, for years and years and years. Now he comes out, and he's told he can't do this and he can't do that unless he has his paperwork, okay? And then the paperwork is across town. He don't he, he don't know how to do. It. So we need something in place. We need to take these guys and these women by the hand. We need some organizations in place and by the hand and help them go through this process because, again, it's, it's, it's the frustration, frustration mounts, and you're only a human being. You're only a human being now, and you're surrounded by all this culture shock, all this freedom, and sooner, say, uh, sooner or later, what the heck sets in, what the hell sets in, and, uh, you know, you're back, you're back behind the eight ball. Gene? George, when as you describe it, uh, it, a thought occurs to me. Uh, if if we're listening to the news recently, they found that 
for the homeless in America. And now this isn't the incarcerated, but this is another suppressed group. For the homeless in America, there's a remedy they're finding. Give them a home. Give them a house. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds stupid, doesn't it? But that's the remedy. Give them a house. Uh, And they'll find a way eventually of paying something for it. But it's a lower cost to society to do that than to leave people on the street. And that would seem to me, George, don't you think that's the same thing about our ex-prisoners coming out of prison? If there'd be well, some support for them, it would make, it'd be a lower cost to society. Well, we know we're, paid, we're praying for this big release to come out. It hasn't happened yet. I'm praying this all the concerning federal prisoners. You know, we're not near the 60-something, 60 60-plus-thousand mark that was, you know, uh, basically documented in the media and documented in, in, in Washington, and now it's a trickling down with that. And, uh, and again, the statistics are there. The statistics are there. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing on a big margin in place to help all these guys. It's just not there. And, uh, and uh, you know, something has to be. Something has to be. And uh, look at me. A person that can deliver profound messages, okay? A person that can deliver profound messages up and down uh, the seaboard on both sides of this con- uh, country, East Coast, West Coast. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curtailed. I'm on probation. I'm, I just got the letterhead from my friends in Seattle, and I'm going to bring that to probation, and I'm waiting for the letterhead invite uh, to go to last year, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, where, you know. You know, what, what's the sense of having me on paper? I'm a nonviolent first offender. Okay, actually, I had to be resentenced. The only way I could, because my, my sentence was death. There was no getting out of my sentence. Same as yours, Gene. We came out in a body bag. And now we're fortunate to be free, but you know, Gene, Gene doesn't, he doesn't have restrictions. Thank God. And look what he's doing. Look at so many good things he's doing because he doesn't have restrictions. But I, myself, I have this uh, restriction. Doesn't make sense. But I can be out there speaking and delivering these messages of facts and truth. Gene? Well, George, we we went to a march yesterday, and we held your sign, even though you're free, and we held a sign that we used to hold for you when you were in prison, and we held it from our booth, except for this time it said, freedom for free, um, George Montrano is free. So we still held your sign. Okay. So we are, that. you know, I hope to see you in Seattle too, but in the meantime, like you're, you're well represented out here. Okay. I appreciate that. I didn't believe that. That's, that's some better than my, uh, you know, my self-respect for well, all you people out there that are doing so wonderful. And, you know, it helped me carry on when I was in the cage and it helps me carry on out there. And I so look forward to not having restrictions where I can, be doing so much, so much. And it's not talking to big crowds, you know. I can walk into a, a small classroom in another state, and in that classroom it could be 10 kids, but if I could turn the lights around on two, I did something. I did something like that. So, again, a person like me does not not to be have any restrictions. And that should have been thought through from my prison record of graduating you know, thousands and thousands of students. What's the sense of uh, having this guy not go here and not go there? Gene? Right. 
George, you know, I was saying before in the program, but I'll reminisce with you about it. I proved them so wrong, so corrupt in what they did, that they literally kicked me out and they didn't even give me any paper. I was fortunate. I didn't have the problem you and Randy and other people have of having probation. They didn't know what to do with me. They just kicked me out the door and said, get out of here. Right, right, right. Well, you know, it's not that I have any animosity against any government agency. Believe me, I just want to want to be able to go to Washington when there's some kind of function and talk to them and say, hey, listen, I'm available. Let's work together. I mean, I lived it, so I know what I know what we should do and we should do. Whether you agree or not, at least give me an opportunity to travel and speak about it. And I don't have that. I don't have that. Gee. George, it's something else when I think about you, and I want the listeners to focus on this. This is George is a, is a, a shining example of, of a good person, a person that was improperly kept caged up for 33 years. And look at what he's proven while he was in prison and all the good he did there and all the teaching of courses and monitoring and and, and mentoring of of other prisoners and so on. And now look at it. He's in Philadelphia helping out. They call him to the to universities even to talk. Uh, George, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, t- tell us tell us a little bit about the reaction of the public to you as an ex prisoner and someone who did all of that time for marijuana. I mean. Uh... You know, it's now, this is the state that gave me, this is the state that gave me life, no parole. First one ever, nonviolent first offender. This is the state now. It's on the news every day because the medical marijuana was passed, and it's in the news every day. And every time you hear these segments, there's some kind of implement of change over now. We're going to do it this way, we're going to do it that way, and, you know, what type of licensing is they going to issue. So it's it's just amazing. Amazing that, you know, uh, I, 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 I pray, I pray that, you know, I can do something uh, more in the marketing sense to bring it. It's such a good thing. It's such a, it's such a good, it's such a, a medical use and, 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 and entertainment use. It's such a good, a good situation. I don't even like to call it a drug. You know, I just think it's a way of life for tens of thousands. And uh, and it's unfortunate for that way of life. There's people still suffering for it, still suffering for it. So, you know, again, I wish I could go out there and make a difference in many, many places on, on a weekly basis. Dean? Yeah, George, you know, when you say suffering, uh, I think something that must be brought up, I like, I bring it up regularly for our listeners. Every one of us, when of us marijuana prisoners, when we were sentenced, and they and they said they they came to the air section of who was hurt by the drug, who was damaged, and inevitably the answer is no one. Yeah, so many cases, so many cases. No so, one. Uh, no one was hurt, huh, George? Well, what do no we one. what do we give the sentences for if nobody is hurt? I don't know. You know, it's the it's the bureaucracy that has been in place 
and no one knows more than you know how the women have suffered because you know they 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 they, they emotionally they they get they get overwhelmed when loved ones go away or they go away when the, when the female goes away and uh and with weed situations it's it's it just doesn't make sense you know we can you want a sense in a sense in us a community service finest i mean imagine all the, all the good I could have been doing when I finally understood myself and fund and not to learn not to hate the bureaucracy that's been in place long before my incarceration. And uh, and I know my heart better men than me have died in prison. But imagine all the good that I can have done uh, with so many young lives out here. Again, I tried to do all I could from myself. And there were there were long periods, you know, lockdowns and stuff like that, where uh, you know we just you had no life. You were just a human, locked in between steel walls and stone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> George, uh, you mentioned something that I, I I know our listeners would like to know, and that is, did prison authorities finally recognize who you were and all the good you could do? and allow you some leeway to do these things in prison? Oh, yeah, that happened many, many years ago. Many, many years ago because they seen basically, I never went to them and asked them for anything. Basically, they had to see for themselves. And you and, and what you have to do, you know, as mentor and, uh, or an educator, is stay the course. You have to stay the course. You have to be in that classroom Year after year after year, and then it's all documented. Your success is all documented. But my accumulation of documentation was so overwhelming that it went to uh, every department, uh, all the way up to Washington D.C. And they just said, you know, then the wardens would say, "Well, if they only had more, more like you." Okay, well, they would have been more like me if they could release me and had me go around and try to, uh, you know, add a positiveness to the whole situation, King. George, a, a question I have for you. You and I both were in the classrooms in prison teaching many, many thousands of, of, of fellow uh, uh, inmates. Uh, how do the education departments function? Do they function with trained educators, or is it inmates who are doing the teaching? Basically, it's you all the you you get the you get the nod uh, from the education department. A lot of times, your class had to be uh, sponsored, basically on the initial the initial programming of that particular class had to be sponsored by staff. But keeping the class going from week to week, month to month, year to year, it was the inmate instructor, and uh, very very little pay if not none. You know, so and you and and all you can do. I, I was many situations that I bought my own curriculum materials, especially with the creative writing classes, because from creative writing, there's so much new stuff that comes out every year. And, uh, and I had to teach how to how to uh, do ebook. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a computer to show them how to set themselves. These guys are accomplished writers how to uh, get involved in e-books, electronic books. No, I, had, I, I actually had to do it from, from books and on the blackboard and actually pictures from magazines to try to get them to absorb, absorb how they can help themselves because 
you know, publishing world got so uh, so uh, you can't even get the first base, but an inmate can can get himself published on ebook for a minimal amount of money. But it has to be done right. Work has to be polished, has to be put on the disc. And then I would bring students up to the point where they were good enough, and but where were they going to put it on the disc? So now you got the inmate needs outside help. He needs community connection to do that. Okay, and the majority of them didn't have it. So for years I try to have that where we can have at least type the manuscript on the on the little disc, and then the disc could be you pay for the disc in commissary, and it could be mailed out. I had no no success with that, but I heard some institutions had it, but I never I never physically uh, or, or or seen it myself. Seen. Uh, so George, these courses that are given by inmates. Uh, I guess this is what they call ACE, Adult Continuing Education. Yeah, but adult basic education, but then the, it can go a step further. You know, once you bring the, you bring to get them their GED and they have a, a certain amount of certificates, now you can, you can it's up to the individual if he, he wants to go to distant learning where he would take college <laughs> courses, but that's expensive. I mean, the, the cheapest you can get, we have we have universities that would learn distant learning and certain education fields, but you had to pay. You had to pay. Now I understand the Pell Grant's supposed to be coming back to the prisons, where you know the community colleges in that area would come in. We've seen that in our tenure, you know, in the beginning years, but that has long gone. But I heard it's supposed to be coming back, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, you guys. Um, we've got we've got our next guest on the line, Stephanie Landa, who is in D.C. right now, um, advocating for uh, our prisoners. So we're going to get an update from her about what's going on in D.C. Okay. But well, again, yeah, George, I, I want to thank you, thank you, right. thank you, and I want to thank you too for coming on our show. Okay. Mom, are you still there? And, uh, I'm George, still here. Thank you for, for the illuminating. Okay session we had with you again today. All Love right. it. Every I'll, time. I can't wait. I can't wait to meet everybody. Take care. All right. Bye, bye. bye George. Bye, bye. All right, Mom, we're going to let you go, too. Okay. All right. Thank we you. love you. Thank you. All right. Yes, bye-bye. Bye. All right, you guys. Now we're going to find out um, from Stephanie Landa, who is the founder of Freedom Grow, which is a nonprofit uh, 501c3. Um, commissary group where you can load commissary money to prisoners. Well, Stephanie is advocating right now in Washington, D.C., and she's she's advocating for prisoners, and she's got some, some news about what it's like in D.C. and what she's doing there. So first here is, or next is here, Stephanie Landa. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good morning, Stephanie. Oh, hi. I'm not tell in us, Washington, D.C. Tell us anymore. about the I'm weird, weird land of Washington, D.C., Stephanie. Excuse well, she's me? She's not in the... No, I'm not tell in us. Washington anymore. I'm back in California. Oh, okay. Well, how was the trip to Washington? What? How's life in Washington? It was, uh, it was very interesting. I mean, like, I can't believe they're calling me by my first name instead of my number. So like I was amazed. Like that line. I know, you know, you go from being called you. Landa oh nine blah 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 to Stephanie. I'm Ste- like really? Stephanie, will you, will you ever forget your prison number? 
Um, I think I just did. You did. Well, I could I... any of my ashtrays and be reminded because you had to put <laughs> it on the back of the ashtrays that you sent home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I probably have forgotten it. Now I'm remembering my kids, which is really horrible. But Washington, D.C., for anybody that hasn't been there, I haven't been there since high school, and it was, I think it was this way in high school, but maybe I don't remember, but it's on high alert. It's like the alert signals, are, there's, red and, there's red and blue flashing lights going down every street all the time. There's secret service in every restaurant. It's just like, whoa, what is going on here? It's very, very high alert. Didn't stop us from smoking, but it's still on high alert. And you could feel the tension in the air. Now, we were really fortunate because a congressman took us for a midnight tour of the Capitol. So it was. What? A congressman? What? A congressman? Yes. And he took us for a tour. Now, I am sure that they, that all of them take people for tours at night, you know, because, like, they can. And it was, I was taking photos of things that said no photos. It was just, it was an incredible trip. You know, they, it was just being in the White House, oh, my God. I was just like, really? So it, the whole trip was really... I mean, I don't even know what else to say because here my kid's in jail for pot. I'm in the White House for pot. There's people walking around, and all the people that we ended up talking to, which was a lot of people, were all, if they if they were no on marijuana, they were at least question mark after we talked to them. After I told them I had cancer and um, I take oil every day, and if not, I would have cancer still. You know, so, and since I'm like 70, it's easier for me to talk to people that are younger. You know, it's just, um, than I am. They're listening because I'm older already. Like, if I was still 20 or 30, then they wouldn't be listening because they'd be older than me. So, So 70, 70, you actually got into the White House? They let you in as an ex-con? You have to be, uh, you know what? That's what Madeline Johnson said. And she said that once you get in once, it's easier to get in the second time. Yeah, I sent in, I just, Amy Provo got me on the list. And then they, she put me on a list and she put Dina and Jason on this list. And then they asked us to reply to their invitation. And I replied with my social and blah, 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 blah. And then they RSVP'd in a matter of no time at all and said, yeah, come on in. Believe me, I was so floored, I almost fainted. And, Jean, if you were on Facebook or Instagram, you would know, too. I posted my invitation. (laughs) (laughs) That's for, for, for our listeners, that's an in-joke. Stephanie knows yes. I'm, I'm a Neanderthal with, with with Facebook. That's why she's joking. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. 
actually. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. But <laughs> one day you'll give in like I did. I, I was against it, too. But I gave in, and, of course, you become addicted. Once you give in, it's all over. It's just like that with everything. You know? You... Oh, I'm not going to go there because of what happened with my kidney. So, yeah. So, I Stephanie, know. And you told me you were going to be on it, but you didn't tell me this. I do. I do. I just can't get it on a regular basis. So, listen. Uh, well, so, well, here you go. You go. You fly across the country. You're an ex-con and so on, but you're able to get into the White House and on no, a listen, everybody of marijuana. They were all ex-cons. Like, everybody, that, it was all the clemency, all the clemency people came. And, like, they, you know, Amy was there. She did nine years. And it, it was about... It was about how you re-enter into society from being locked up and how we can make that better. I mean, it wasn't like it was a culmination of a lot of meetings at the White House, only I just got invited. I mean, I can't wait to get invited again. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty thrilling, even though all those cops were there and everything. It was just like, yeah, Yeah, I'm looking at a picture. I'm I'm looking Diane at a picture Goldstein on Facebook. Was there. So Who's is Diane there Goldstein? sentiment? Is there sentiment to, to to reentry? Is there sentiment in Washington to try to make make amends and try to get programs that will actually do something to help uh, people getting out of prison? It seems like it. We talked to Loretta Lynn, <laughs> name dropper here. Okay. For, uh, you know, you like, so, wow. yeah, they all want to lower the prison sentences, get people out sooner. They realize that the war on drugs is just like morally wrong, if anything else. They they do. It's either they are really good at lip service, or they really think this. You know, like because it's. In now, prison reform is in the in thing for the president to leave a legacy. It's like he's very, very into prison reform. Yeah, we can't lock up everybody, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, I feel like it's blah, 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 but maybe not. You know, any time there's like, it seems like this might be the tipping point. They're actually going to say, wow, all these people that are talking to us are totally normal. We're locking up their kids, and we're locking them up. And really? And then we had, um, we met on Capitol Hill, we met like three congressmen at on Capitol Hill at the Capitol Hill Club. And, you know, they're all Republicans. Everybody that we met personally were Republicans. And um, one of them said to me right off the bat, yeah, you're having a big fight with pharmaceutical companies. They really are in charge. And I, I mean, totally believe that my whole life, but it was hard for me to hear someone that's in charge of us saying that and believing it and thinking that it wasn't, it's bad, but that's the way it is. Sorry. I was just like, whoa. Oh. So, of course, I talked to him for a long time about the oil I take every day. And um, 
he was no on marijuana, but now he has a question mark. And that's probably all we can do is educate people instead of the choir, start preaching to people that can at least make it a question mark. And Stephanie, that's what I'm it looking, felt like. I'm looking at pictures of you on your Facebook wall of you in D.C. right now, and you look so <laughs> like you're meant to be there. Um I see a picture of the subway. What was what was that experience like? Did you do any um, be an activist on There's the subway? There's a train or did... underneath the Capitol building that connects to somewhere else that goes to the Capitol. Oh, connects to an office building that goes into the Capitol, and only the senators and congressmen get to ride on it. Unfortunately, what? it was broken when we were there, so we had to walk. But it's okay. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, it was. Jason, when he was there last month, got to ride on it. So, wow. Which I'm sure it was extremely exciting. So did you see the yeah. tree? You know, my dad's ashes are sprinkled in the tree if you're facing the White House, just to the left of the White House. Did you get a chance to, to see the tree that my dad has sprinkled at? Put the seeds there. We brought seeds. I put some seeds there. Aww. Seeds. Seeds. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, like the wild you? Flowers, wow. you know? Nice. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> cool. I know. I know. <laughs> You're so cool, Stephanie. You're like one of the coolest people I know. I love you. <laughs> no, I love you, oh, too. I'm looking, I love you, too. I'm still looking... I'm still looking at Facebook, and I see pictures of you and Amy Pova and Beth Curtis, who are very, very familiar to this show because they call in and they tell us, you know, about about what's going on in D.C. and with their family members and, and with themselves, of course. What was it like to be able to see these activists that I know you've seen, you know, here and there, but to be in D.C. with all well, of these Amy people? And I, are, I know. Amy and I are good friends. That's how I got to D.C. Beth and I had met in Michigan, and um, so, like, it was great to see her. She's so wonderful. I mean, I pray every day her brother gets out of jail. Come on now. This is ridiculous. And so that's, of course, why she's in D.C. And um, then there were so many other wonderful people that were in D.C. Diane Goldstein was there, and she is a former... um, head of the narcotics in Hermosa Beach. Now she's in Leap. And so there were a lot of people there that I knew from before, from rallies and from, but seeing them inside the White House, oh my God, was just, all of us kept looking at each other going, really? (laughs) I mean, it was just another experience, especially for me and Amy, because we were in jail. We were called numbers. We were called by our last names. That was like, I had a real big problem with that. I kept saying, you could call me Stephanie. And um, one of the guards used to call me Miss Stephanie because I just, Landa. I mean, really? That's so rude. And so this was a different experience. And, you know, I didn't get an apology, which I really wanted. But I didn't get one of those. Maybe someday. But, yeah, it was a great trip. You know, Freedom Grow was like, you know, it was an honor that that's our first trip all together. 
that we actually went somewhere as, you know, an entity. It was it was great. Then we went to um, oh, we went to different offices and they had different meetings. It was it was just great. It was the greatest trip I've ever had, actually. Because yeah, well, while while you yeah. were out there yesterday, I was at a Freedom March, and there's a woman who came up, and she was like, "Is this where I can give money to prisoners commissary?" And I said, "No." Oh. I said, "We don't. We're not taking commissary money today." I said, "But if you," and I gave her your website address, and I told her you can go to freedomgrow.org or dot com. Dot mm-hmm. org and. Dot org. Okay. I wrote both of them down so that if I said if it's not com, it's org, but it's called freedomgrow.org or com. But I wrote them both down for her, and she said that she'd be making a donation. So if anybody else listening, um, why Stephanie's in D.C., um, there's still commissary that needs to be done for prisoners. She still has a website. And while we talk about all these prisoners that we're advocating for, she represents the plant, the plant prisoners. And she will put the go to her website, put commissary on there. She will go and put it on plant prisoners commissary. So while she's out there fighting for them, she's fighting for them financially also. Um, so Stephanie, could you tell us um, more a little bit about the urgency so of this matter? I ha- I haven't done it yet because I was in Washington D.C. But I have three thousand dollars from yeah. the High Times Cup to divvy out to prisoners this week, or next week, next week. I'm still, or this week, this coming week. Um, I'm a little tired right now, but uh, I'm definitely going (laughs) to do it this week. I'm really sorry I haven't done it yet. I'm, you know, I was guilty all week about it, but I will do it this week. So it's going to go out, and uh, Freedom Girl also got, I don't know what kind of a donation, but anything is just heartwarming. This family made a GoFundMe and uh, for their child. They got enough money on their GoFundMe for what they wanted, and it's still going, and they're donating it to Parents for Pot and Freedom Grow, which is pretty incredible, you know, that they just, you know, want to give to I know. That's really, really nice. And Parents for Pot, Everybody is a great organization. They take care of the kids of the people that are in jail. So we're, t- we're trying to take care of the people that are in jail and let them call their kids. They're taking care of the kids. So both organizations rock as far as I'm concerned. Love Parents for Pot. I love them. I'm a member uh, of Parents for Pot. I'm a member of Parents for Pot. Yeah, of course. So They're great. Me. They're just, we love them. We love them. Yeah, we love them too. We love them too. So, all right, Stephanie. Okay, so, is there anything else? Um, just pray for my kid. I still haven't can't visit him or get a phone call. So, but bless his soul, some other person called me up and said, "I'm Max's friend. He just wants his mommy to know that he's okay." Oh. That was so nice. nice. I was like, oh, nice. wow, that's so nice. So that happened while I was in Washington, D.C. So that was uh, just like... Your, so your son probably yeah. doesn't even know know that you're in Washington, D.C. Um, no, I told the kid, the other, or whoever it was that called me. 
<laughs> so, cool. I mean, my mom's getting me out of here. I don't know. Yeah, She's I out know. there. Yeah, my mom's out here trying to get me out. <laughs> She's I am. For I, I talked to Diane Goldstein about it. We're going to try to get him to a fire camp. That would be really, mm-hmm. really great because he'd get like eight months off. Oh, nice. nice. So, I'm praying get for that. Free Max. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. really, Free Max. Okay, bye, Jean. Bye, everybody. Bye, 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 bye Sam. Thank you. I love you. We guys. love you. Thanks for going to D.C. for everyone and um, fighting for our prisoners. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> I love you. Love Bye. you, too. Bye. 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 All right, you guys, that was Stephanie Landa, who served four years in prison for the plant, and now her son is in prison for the plant. So no one should be in prison for the plant. Um, so please go to her freedom.grow or freedomgrow.org and load some commissary money. And just remember, prisoners only work for like 12 cents an hour. They only make like $20, $30 a month. And that's not enough to buy the extra food that they need that the prison isn't feeding them or the extra sweatshirt they need to stay warm or shoes they need to walk around the track. Um, so please go to Stephanie's site and donate immediately. It's an emergency. Next, we're going to hear from Tom Corby, who is a Northern California chapter coordinator for the Human Solution International. Uh, Tom is also an, ex, an ex-defendant um, who fought his own case and basically won. And Tom is uh, rallying support for a girl up there who really has been rallying support for her for a long time now. Um, she keeps going to court. And so we're going to find out more details and exactly what is going on in Northern California. Good morning, Tom. Hi. Uh, top of the day, all. Uh, I want to thank you, Chris and Eugene. Always, all the folks on the front line to help us in progression and free all our POWs. Uh, Northern California, uh, tomorrow is a huge day. Uh, we have James Bell up and ready. Uh, I look like. Uh, we have a crew with Matthew Pappas, Larry King, uh, coming up from uh, L.A. Um, Yay, we love Matt Pappas. Yes, yes. And you know, we're going to have another press conference uh, at Dr. Badgley's office <clears throat> tomorrow afternoon after Benno's uh, uh, status hearing at 8 o'clock. <clears throat> Excuse me, i got a frog in my throat. <laughs> uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, at 8 a.m., uh, that's 1655 West Street in Reading, uh, Department 1. Uh, I think Joseph Tully is also going to be there. Uh, this is going to be one of uh, <clears throat> the Benno's biggest hearings yet. Uh, uh, also, when we remember we talk about the Benno's, we're talking about his two nice boys, Jacob and Logan. Uh, we come harder uh, for court support. When kids are involved, uh, twice a battle. Can you imagine being in jail uh, and also having your kids taken? Twice a battle. Um, so we're going to head up tonight. We have the crew coming up from L.A., uh, Sacramento. They're flying in and going to have dinner here tonight. We also have a clinic here with Dr. Denise uh, Canton today also and hope to get her up to Shasta. Uh, to meet Dr. Badgley. Uh, when we talk about uh, the laws and the guidelines, our doctors also must stay with these laws and guidelines 
we know that Dr. Allen uh, has said board hearing, lost his license on just a couple little uh, procedures. So the doctors must be very careful uh, when they're recommending this our medicine. Uh, so if you can, come tomorrow uh, for court support for the Benos. This is going to be a historical day. Uh, like many cases, this case should have been dismissed long ago. Uh, we always say follow the money. Uh, they're all making money on us. Uh, also, uh, Alex Lyons, uh, my neighbor, talked about Alex. Uh, he had a, uh, a, a TRC Today trial readiness conference uh, has been canceled for tomorrow at 8.30. Uh, he, he's going on to a uh, pretrial conference uh, on June 9th. At 1.30 p.m., that's number one, Court Street, <clears throat> right here in Oroville, California. Uh, court support is always important. Uh, it's not only to support our defendants, but to come bear witness to the injustices that go on inside these courtrooms. The court's accountable for uh, what they're doing to defendants is unacceptable. Uh, so... Uh, also, uh, Shelby Lucero had her 35th preliminary hearing this last Friday. Uh, she's finally, the case should have been dismissed. Uh, Judge Thornborn has said more than once, why am I still hearing this case? Uh, this case is weak, so why are we still going on and, and going on to trial now? Uh what a waste of time and taxpayers' money, we always point out. So Shelby's going on to uh, to pretrial conference. Actually, it's a TAC, a trial some assignment conference. They're all pretty much the same. Uh, on June, uh, let's see, I have it here somewhere on my calendar. Uh, uh, TSC, uh, May, May. Eleventh. Uh, uh, that's at uh, 720 uh, 9th Street in Sacramento Superior Court, Department Eight. Uh, that's a trial. Uh, it'll be a trial setting conference, actually. Uh, uh, so she's actually going on to trial finally after four years. Just think of a, a waste of time and taxpayers' money uh, and disrupting lives and family. I want to uh, honor. Shelby and all the defendants that, that take them on to, to trial. Uh, it's been pointed out before that only about five to seven percent of defendants go on to trial. Uh, all these plea bargains that the PDs make and your attorneys make to you will screw you. Did you know that when a PD deals you out and plea bargains you out, he gets three times the money and he just brings you up, goes on to the next one. Uh, what a dog and pony show inside these courtrooms. Oh, come and join us. Help be the solution to end prohibition. Stop the madness. Uh, this is a failed drug war. It was illegal in the first place. We know the Controlled Substance Act 1996 uh, was illegal in the first place. So let's hope we finally, in 2016, and this failed war, and we must get the feds out. 
Also come join us at thehumansolution.org, letfreedomdurow.org, and POW420s. Always want to thank all the speakers, George Martirano, uh, Stephanie Landa, uh, doing such a great job. It's so important that these uh, our POWs not only get letters, hard letters, but whatever uh, monetary uh, uh, money we can send them is so important for their commissary rights in there. I want to thank you all today, and I also remind you, don't forget to breathe, and then uh, I have to remind myself, uh, it really helps to let the tension go. Uh, uh, thank you again today, and uh, I'll be over and out, and uh, all right, I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> right, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on and letting us go what's going on what's going on in Northern California. All right, guys, that was yeah. Tom Corby. Um, thank you, Tom. You always calls in every week just to give us the news because in Northern California, it is crazy out down there. Like, this war has just been going on like crazy there. Oh, wow. So, Eugene, is there um, – we're, we, we're about done with the show for today. Is there anything else that you want to – talk about before we hang up no i just like to um, say that it was I, I was listening to the show and thinking how far we've come mm-hmm. and how far we have to go still in our movement uh when i listen to people like uh people going to dc ex-offenders going to dc people who are out now and uh, people like my buddy georgie and others who are out there uh, doing such good things. Your mother coming out, Sherry coming out of off of paper and so on. It's just, it's enheartening, uh, Christian, to see see these things happening. I know. I know. I just wish there was a magic wand that we can just put, put sprinkle something across the nation and just be over with. But like you said, there's so maybe much the work to do. Maybe the magic wand comes in, in parts, you know. <laughs> maybe, the, yeah. maybe the angel does <laughs> Just does a little bit here and there at a time. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Um, we want to thank everybody for listening to the show today. Um, these voices that are brought to you are brought to you right directly from the from the from the front lines of the cannabis war. Um, thanks to um, Eugene, all the listeners, all the caller callers, volunteers, Mindy, Becca, um, who you did not hear from today, but they they're they're here usually. I hope they're having fun and they enjoy their break. Um, uh, Camping sounds fun. Um, Also, we got a free Richard DeLisi, Lance Glore, um, John Nock, I mean, Craig Cecil, which we hope Craig Cecil is okay. And the list, I could name a thousand names probably. Um, We also want to thank CCHI for giving this platform for us to do this show. We want to ask you guys to help us in Prohibition Day. Um, so that people don't have to die in this war. And it's Sunday, so we're going to take the next few minutes out to recognize some of the people that have died in this war, like my father, Richard Floor. Rest in peace to my dad, who I believe is still here with us today. I believe all these people I'm about to mention are still here, here with us today, um, guiding us from the other side. Um, my dad didn't have to die the way he did, and it was a tragedy that he died the way he did. But um, things happen for a reason, and I truly believe that my dad's death um, it might have been a tragedy a tragedy to him, but in a way, I kind of feel like it was kind of a gift to the rest of the world. 
Um, and nobody should have to take their parents off life support, shackled to a bed, or see a parent who never hurt anybody. Two parents go through the situations that my mom and dad have went through. So help us end prohibition so nobody else has to die. We also want to say rest in peace to Gary Shepard, um, who was shot down to death by prohibition when the federal government showed it up at his house to raid him. Well, Gary said, you're not taking my plants, and he stood there to protect his plants. Well, they didn't want him to do that, so they shot him to the ground along with his partner, Mary Jane Jones, who was holding their son, baby Jake, in their arms. Mary Jane survived the gunshot wounds. However, that day, Gary Shepard died about 20 years ago. Mary Jane survived until about six months ago or so where she passed away. So rest in peace to them. Also rest in peace to Jack Hare, who taught us about the plant. In fact, I have been hearing quite a bit about Jack Hare, and everybody's out there fighting, oh, he would support this or he wouldn't support that. But if you read The Emperor Wears No Clothes, Jack supports our prisoners. So when, when it all comes down to fighting over Jack Hare, Put put your thoughts towards the prisoners. I think I I think and I don't even know him, but I I think that's where he would want us to focus on is is keeping it so where people don't have to go to prison for a plant. Um, rest in peace to Jack Hare. Get his book if you want to know all about the conspiracy of the plant. Um, the emperor and wears no clothes will tell you about the benefits and and the bad things that the government has done to keep the benefits away. Um, we also want to say rest in peace to Peter McWilliams, who also wrote us books of inspiration. In fact, his, his his book about death helped me get through my father's death. And I wasn't all the way 100% sure of Peter's story. In fact, I found out, as we're talking about probation today, uh, Peter died on probation wearing an ankle monitor for the federal government. He had nausea, and he wasn't able to have his medicine, uh, the cannabis plant, for the nausea. In fact, um, I, from what I understand, he, he died choking over his own vomit. Um, we also want to say rest in peace to Larry Harvey who was very, very sick with cancer when the federal government raided him and charged all of his, all of his close family members with, uh, with, with charges. Um, Larry ended up getting his charges dropped because of his condition. However, his family members did not. In fact, they were found guilty. And after Larry has died now, his family members are going to be going off to serve their time. The Kittle Falls Five, you may know of them. However, here's the thing. They're waiting on their appeal. So, um, rest in peace to Larry Harvey, who is the head of that household. Also, rest in peace to Dee Young, who for giving us Adam. The Curtis Cecil, who is Craig Cecil's son, he passed away at a very, very young age um, while his father was serving a life sentence. We also want to say rest in peace to Spencer Coptis and Cassie Hyde, two little boys who you were using the plant to cure their, to cure their two brain tumors. Well, when their caregivers got raided, the parents didn't have access to the plant like they should have, and they, they the tumors grew out of control. And our poor little Spencer and Cashy passed away in the war. Also, rest in peace to Bruno, Bernardo Rumo Martinez, who is such a good friend of mine. Um, he was trying to help get make videos so that people around the nation would know what's going on with prohibition. And but Rumo passed away. Also, um, to Elaine Sammons, who was. A tribal, um, a tribal member for the Onak um, Indian or Native American tribe. Um, they they were sending some medicine through the post office, and the post office intercepted it. And Elaine got really sick. In fact, so sick that she passed away. Um, and the medicine was helping control all of her sicknesses. Um, we also want to say rest in peace to Oscar. Oscar is one of Eugene's and George's friends. Um, where Eugene and George say that he went to FCI in the sky. 
and also to Bill Lamorte. And Bill Lamorte, we talk about freedom, um, but nothing nothing more than Bill Lamorte um, reminds us of freedom because he died on a day of freedom, the 4th of July, while he was serving a life sentence for a plant. He was uh, on his 20th year, and he had two major heart attacks, and he died in prison um, for cannabis. And we don't ever want to forget Bill Lamorte. Um, he was being voice was keeping his voice was being locked down in prison and um eugene told us that he was a good friend of his and he is not here no more so rest in peace to all the people i mentioned and all the rest that i do not know and thank you very much for listening to today's voices of the cannabis war radio show we try to do our best to deliver the news right from the front lines um we're going to play a song um eugene first is there anything you want to say Goodbye for the day, and thank you for listening. Cool, yep. Thank you for listening. And check out this song. It's called No More War, and it's um, it's brought to you by Kushites, and they sing this, and we love it, and I think it's just, just right for the show. Check it out. Why they kids that's a case and it's growing more? 
funds spent for spy killing drones While CNN and Patriot commercials breed human drones from home Recording scripted terrorist training in places you can't visit So the real plan of extinction, you don't get it The country surrounding Israel, the holy land is now being in W.O. committed The war is spiritual, but through the mind the actions is how they get it Or should I say distract? They say it's oil, but it's deeper than that It's just more smoke to the mirror So I radiate more hope clearer Shed tears for my peers Cause judgment day gets nearer So I exercise mightier than the sword Use the pen to paint the lines With conscious mind the world can explore So maybe you can find out why It's the war Some of the most powerful things Are the one more song you don't guys don't have to hang out but if you're bored check this out because it's really awesome in fact the man who wrote this song is in prison for the plant and he wrote it while he was going through his um his uh case so this is a cool song it's called from carrie lee woosley and it's called these walls around me um last week we played Freedom, and if you want to stay tuned, we might play Freedom afterwards. We still have 15 minutes left of the show, so I'm just going to play some songs. Um, check it out. Uh, this is Carrie Woosley of These Walls Around Me. I've got these walls around me, so tell me how you found me. Thought I'd never see your face again. And am I just dreaming? I'm maybe just a feeling for someone to call. Do what you do, thinking what you do will pass somehow. Baby, look at me now. I've got these walls around me, so tell me how you found me. Thought I'd never see your face again. And am I just dreaming? Or maybe just a feeling? With someone to call a friend. Trust me, I am lonely. My privacy is phony. I'm just waiting. Crazy place. I'd be there for you no matter what you do, no matter who you know. Baby, what did you do? 
I've got these walls around me Tell me how you found me Thought I'd never see your face again And am I just dreaming Or maybe just a feeling With someone to call a friend Trust me, I am lonely My privacy is phony I'm just waiting to feel free I haven't begun yet To see my first sunset When I do, can you come with me? I'm going to play one more song. It's from another one from Carrie Lee Woosley. And guys, Carrie Lee Woosley is working on his 12th year in prison. Um, and these songs made Billboard charts, um, I believe, on um, a few different charts out there. And he's they became really popular. And he did all this while he's been behind bars for cannabis. He's been in prison for cannabis. I believe it was... I don't remember what the charges were. I think it was 999 ounces or something like that. Don't mark my words because I, I don't remember exactly. But there is a show that we hosted where we had Carrie Lee Woosley called Right In From Prison. So if you can stay tuned for that show, um, just Google it or, or send me a, a message on Facebook or something. I'll give you a copy of that show. But it tells a story, and you can hear right directly from Carrie Lee Woosley. So this last song I'm going to play you guys for the day is from Carrie Lee Weasley, and it's called Freedom. And thank you for listening to Voices of Cannabis War, and have a beautiful Sunday. My freedom, well, it leaves me today. Warp speed, I must say. If you were smart, you'd leave me and walk away. Obey. 
That's easy for them to say 